The Apostle Paul is getting ready to wrap up his letter. But before that happens, he returns Titus's attention back to the false teachers. Okay, so he's concluding out. But, but here's the deal. Simply put, what's he trying to get at? He's saying, listen, there's a capital T truth, the gospel. There, we, don't, we don't talk about adding to the Trinity or taking away from the Trinity. You've got to know these main doctrinal things. You've got to embrace them, hold on to them, and don't swerve from that truth. Okay, that leads to unity. That's what he's going to say. But don't major on all the minors. Don't, don't do that, right? Like the exact day that Jesus is returning or exactly how that's going to happen. Are you all meal, this meal, post meal? Like, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. I eat general meals for breakfast, right? <laughs> that's fine. So you didn't miss anything then, okay? Don't major on that. But some people love to major on that because he says, if you do that, that's going to lead to division. It's going to lead to just separating people into fractions within the body. And we want to be one body, one body seeking one aim. That aim is Christ, okay? And I think you'll see it right in verse 9 through 11 of Titus chapter 3. Let's look at it again. Ryan did a great job of reading it, but now let's look at it just a tad more. He says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, notice that word, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. By the way, the word warped here really matters because everything that Titus has been learning from Paul is that there is a, there's a doctrine that is straight. It is straight line teaching. He's saying these guys are warped. Like they're not over here like, you know, crazy land. They're just, they're just off. They're not straight, though. It's, it's warped. Something's wrong. You've got to know that. They're warped. They're sinful. He's saying he is self-condemned. So, so first point is avoid this. Avoid what? Well, avoid false teachers. Avoid, avoid their, their teaching. But he's actually going further than that. Right? This, this matters greatly for all churches, by the way. But I would say especially for church plans. This matters. Right? And, and, and here's why. Because there, there are a lot of wing nuts, whack jobs, and weirdos in the world, and they love church plants. And if you're like, is he talking about me? No, I'm not. Actually, we don't really have any right now, which is a miracle. We've had some, and they found their way continuing on because they got no room here. And you've you got to know this. Like, why, why do I say it? I'm not even trying to be insulting, and, and I'm really not. What I'm saying is often it's because they've went everywhere else to try their strange teaching, and it might even be heretical, um, but it's just, it's off the radar. They're not majoring on the majors. They're not talking about loving Christ, loving one another, being a witness within the community. They've got flanographs, right? They're pulling them out. They're showing you these strange little timelines, and they want to make sure everybody understands this, and, and they major on that. Why do they come to a, a church plant? Well, it's often because they've went everywhere else and they found no room. They found zero room. They've had someone confront them with their teaching. And so they then went somewhere else. Well, now here, these guys, they're so new, will come in. They'll be attracted to this teaching because it's awesome and I got pictures. Right? Do you know what I'm saying? You may not, but I can tell you right now, Kevin and I do. Kevin and I absolutely know what this means. And Paul is talking to Titus. He's saying, you've got to know this. They have zero desire for truth. 
They have zero desire for truth. Here's the thing. It takes a lot of patience to figure it out, though, because there are some people who come in and they have been led astray by strange teaching. They're not bad folks. They've just been under some weird teaching. And what they need is to be brought in line with what is true. But there are others who, who they're, not, they're not entangled in bad teaching. They're actually entrenched in it. And they have no desire to learn. They have no desire to hear what you have to say. They only want to tell you what they know. They want to teach. They want to make sure everybody understands what they believe. And they're not moving. They might listen to you, but they're just entertaining you. Well, so, so we have to be, as a people slow to pull the trigger on people. We've got to get to know them. We've got to bring them in. We've got to learn them. We, we have to understand the difference. It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes the spirit. It takes discernment to understand, is this person just entangled or is this person entrenched? Because if they're entrenched, you ought to warn them once, you ought to warn them twice, and you have nothing to do with them. You have nothing to do with them. Now, I, I got to tell you, this, some people, this is really hard to accept that kind of teaching. But, but we, have to, we have to sit ourselves under the Word of God. When the Word of God confronts you and makes you uncomfortable, first off, make sure you're understanding it right. But if you're understanding it right, it's my heart that needs to change. I don't need to then change the Word of God so that I can feel comfortable, right? Because the Word of God's authoritative, not my emotions, not my feelings. So someone might say, well, that's not, it's not very nice, but i got to tell you, there's way too many churches that have been harmed and eventually became sick and even died when leaders put up with quarrelsome and divisive people for way too long, way longer than they should. Right? You know the family. They got their own pew, if you had pews. They got their own chairs. They even write their name on it. This is their church. This is my church. This is not your church. This ain't my church. This ain't Kevin's church. It's not your church. This is Christ's church, and Christ is authoritative. Not you, not me. And he tells us what his church is to be like. He tells us what his church is to believe. He tells us how his church is to interact and to love one another. He tells us what this church is to look like out in the community and the city that we find ourselves. And when we're out of line, and we are, if you think, I'm always straight line. Yeah, right. Hang out with like the Bible more. You'll find that you're off center many times and we need one another just to pull us back to center. And you want to keep a teachable spirit. You want to, you, man, if you have a brother or sister that loves you enough to come to you very kindly, very patiently and say, hey, so, and you just have that conversation, if they're loving you like that, man, you should embrace that. You might not even agree with it, but you might, you might need to hear something there. Well, so what's this look like in real life? I'll give you two examples, right? When we first planted another church in Indiana, um, there, there were two different categories, and I would say we're going to call them, once again, we've got the entangled, we've got the entrenched, and we had numerous people who were entangled, and they came out to our church, and they had some strange beliefs. But, but as I spent more and more time with them in the Word and in community, what I realized is they didn't know what they even believed. This is just what they had been taught. But they held it almost as though, this is what I believe. But the more I take time and learn and listen, I, I realized, no, they're just in error but they don't even know. So you bring the truth of God's word in. And what I found is they really wanted to hear what God had to say. And they were willing to change. They were willing to listen. They were willing to have their minds corrected to the word of God. Okay, they were entangled. Many of those folks still find themselves at that church. And many of them are thriving now. And what I mean by thriving, they're loving God. They're loving one another. Right? And, and so, okay, we had that. 
And that's good. But then we had some real strange oddities. We had some very interesting personalities come out. And I remember one in specific. He's like, hey, I'd like to get a coffee with you. And I'm like, oh, cool. And that's very normal for a church plant, right? So I've had coffees with many of you, and they've been very pleasant. And you'll not come into any sermon illustration because they went the way I thought they'd go. Not this one. So we sit down, and, and he's like, so I just want you to know I'm a pastor of pastors. And I'm like, mm. That makes me nervous. Um, I was like, oh, I said, well, who has, who has like, you know, knighted you as this? And, and he's like, X, Y, and Z church. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Because uh, they have no authority to do that. But that's anyway. I'm like, do they know that? And I'm just starting to ask him questions. And he's like, well, not really. I'm like, they're going to after this conversation, right? Like, so as we're talking, he's like, have you, have you run into the monk? The monk. I'm from Indiana, PA. I don't know what you mean by that. He goes, there's a monk that just walks around Indiana, and he's, I think he's like filled with demons, and he's like, he's laying down all this different color sand as he walks through the streets. He goes, but I have a team, and we follow behind, and we drop oil on it, and we're counteracting all that he does. By the way, I have a chart of the territories that the demons are leading around here. Do you want one? And I was like very tempted to say, that sounds fascinating. Yes. But I said, no, because um, it's odd, right? So I got to know, is this guy just like, woohoo? But I find out he is actually on church discipline from two churches in the area because he did not want to change, right? And so I now, I'm flipping the script. He's here to teach me, and I'm here to help him. But he doesn't want help. I correct him once. I correct him twice. I say, thank you for the coffee. Peace out, homie. And I talk to his pastor, and his pastor's, you know, trying to help him, care for him, but they're very aware of it. That guy's dangerous. That guy's dangerous, right? We have to be able to understand the difference. At least your elders better be able to understand the difference, because if you let that guy come in, because, well, that's what's nice, he will literally shred apart a healthy church. It's not okay to let gangrene go on in the body anybody, right? If your thumb has gangrene, you better address it. And that's what Paul's saying. But he's already said these things, right? So, so that's false teaching, but I think it can get on to other things. I think it can get on to strange teachings. And, and even outside of heretical, it's just odd. You keep majoring on these things. Last day, end times, here's when it is, Gog, Magog, and here, I got the date. I have people all the time say, well, what do you think about the last days right now? What about Russia? Russia, hmm? Gog. Like, can I just say this? Here's what I know explicitly from the Bible. Jesus is coming back. And here's what I know. When, when, when he's coming back, he says this. The love of many will grow cold. He tells us that in his word. Therefore, stir one another up into love, into good works. Do these things. Be found on the day he returns of pouring yourself out in glad submission and love for Christ, glad submission and love for the church, and glad submission in seeking those who are not yet convinced of the gospel to bring them into the family of God. Well, I want to major on that. That's what I want to major on. I want to be a people like that so that when he returns, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't need to know all the little intricate details about how that lays itself out. So don't get caught up in that kind of thing. Major, as, as Alistair Begg would say, major yourself on the, that which is clear, right? right? Major yourself on that. And that which is not, well, then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The plain things are the main things. And Mark, what's the rest? Because I forget. The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main 
Yeah, I had to phone a friend. I literally forgot it, right? So we want to be a people who stress the love of God, the gospel to the people of God and to the city. That's our job. That's our task. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, by the way, he understood the importance of this understanding. Listen to what he says. He says, nothing can be more cruel than that leniency which abandons others to sin, right? Nothing can be more compassionate than that serve reprimand which calls another Christian in one's commitment back from the path of sin, right? This is kindness. This is goodness. This is love. That's what we want to be about. So avoid that, right? Second point, though, is do this. So he says, don't do that. Avoid that. Now he says, do this. Well, what's this? Look at verse 8 and 14. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. Good works is a major theme throughout this short letter. I mean, have you seen it? If not, go back through. It's, it's literally, it's three chapters. I hate to even say chapters. It's just a short letter. It's a short letter. Sit down and read it and notice. You'll notice that there's 46 verses in the, the letter of Titus. 46. Six of them include this encouragement to devote ourselves to good works. Six out of 46. So it's a major theme, right? And so we must not neglect this very important, let's say, fruit of a church, right? We always say this, but we're not going to quit saying being must precede doing, right? So I'm connected to the vine. You're in Christ. This is the imagery that's painted in John. It's actually throughout the Bible, but John 15 primarily. You're in Christ. He's the vine. You're the branches. Where does all the sap, the nutrients, and, and that which blossoms into fruit come from? Christ, right? So I, I, I'm connected to him. I'm going, and, that, and the more you're connected to him, what happens? The more good works come from your life. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you get, if you get that backwards and you start thinking, i got to go do all these things. No, what you need to do is abide. You, you need to be connected to the one who will produce good fruit in your life, through your life, right? And so that's the truth. But i got to tell you, just because that's the truth does not mean that it comes naturally or automatically. And I think this is a big miss in many Christians' lives. What do I mean by that? Notice he says, our people must learn. That word matters. Learn to devote themselves to good works. Well, I'm in Christ. And we often think it's just going to magically happen. No, you've got to learn. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're born again, but disciples are made. It's a big difference. You've got to understand this. So learn to devote yourself to Christ. Learn to devote yourself to good works. People learn and they grow, and, and that relationship is discipleship. Maybe it would serve you better to say apprentice, right? This person knows how to do this thing, and I need to learn from them. They've learned from Jesus. Now he's saying, hey, follow me while I follow Christ. And you're like, well, that's not biblical. Jesus said, follow me. Paul said it. 
Paul said it. I'm, I'm setting my gaze upon Christ. Follow me while I follow him. I'll show you what it looks like. This is why, by the way, this always happens in the context of the church. The church, the family of God, the people of God, always. I'm not saying we won't have, actually, I think I can say this pretty clearly. We will not do six weeks on how to do good works class ever. Ever. As long as I'm here. And if I die, yeah, I can't promise you that. But we will never do that. Because many people think that it's, well, to do good works, i got to learn something from a book. Well, you do. I'm not saying that you don't. It's from the Bible. But you learn it in the context of community. You learn it in the context of community. There are a couple of you here. I won't even bring your name out right now. But what you've told me is so much more has been caught than necessarily taught because you've just you've embraced what we're calling you to do and you've joined this family in a way that it's not just about a Sunday service you are gathering with us you're gathering with us after the service you're eating lunch right you're coming on Tuesday but you folks are all just getting together throughout the week and I love it I love it because that's that's a healthy church Right? You're learning what it looks like to have patience as you see people exhibit patience. You're learning what to do when you blow it, right? And you didn't exhibit patience. And now you've got to actually come to the other person and say, man, I blew it. Would you forgive me? Right? And, and have that person restore you gently and just say, oh yeah, I get it. Man, thank Jesus for grace. Right? That happens in the context of a church family. So we have to devote ourselves to that. Notice Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Listen to the language. Let us consider. By the way, think. Let us consider. I love the word here. Consider. Think. Muse. However you want to say it. Right? Don't just run past that word. Think about what? How to stir up. Right? How to stir up. How to stimulate one another to what? Love and good works. Do we, do, how much time do you give? I'm serious. How much time do you give to considering how to stir up and one another to love and good works? I, I don't know. But I hope sometime, and, and I hope it grows, right? And then he says, not neglecting to meet with one another. So here we are. It's in the context of the gathering, right? As is the habit of some. Now, here, here's the thing. I've been pastoring a church, uh, let's say, 10 years, right? Summer's coming. And one thing I know about summer in Western PA, everybody gets their camp on, right? Like, by the way, <laughs> go camping to the glory of God. What I'm not talking about is not enjoying and going and all of that. But here's what I am talking about. What I have found amazing throughout my pastoral ministry is that people's marriage always is terrible coming out of January, February, March. Okay, and they're like, I need counseling, I need this, I need that. Okay, great. And then all of a sudden, it just magically is better. And I don't see them for three more months, four more months. But then fall comes, and now it's starting to rain again, and it's starting to be bad. And they're like, oh, I so desperately need counseling. Chances are, your marriage didn't get better throughout the summer. It's just camping was more important. Now, I'm not putting camping down. I love camping. If you have a camper and it's bougie and I got a little AC and you'll make me like, like nice hot pockets on the fire, I'll come. 
I'll come. I got to get back to church or I'm going to go to a church there, but I'll come and I'll love it and I will enjoy it to the glory of God and I want you to do the same because shame never, never drives godliness, never drives joy in God, never. But what I am saying is too many times we will neglect gathering to the detriment of our own relationship with God relationship with one another and we have to quit thinking individualistic in that way because not only do you need the gathering but the gathering needs you so so don't neglect to meet with one another as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day and that's a capital d day drawing near and that capital d means the day that jesus returns Right? Meeting together for worship is vital for every Christian because it's an essential way that God encourages our faith. Right? By the way, can, can I just encourage you all to sing? And I got to tell you, I, I grew up in, in a church that, well, let me rephrase that. Because I didn't grow up in the church, first off. My, my, my parents did not embrace the Jesus of the Bible and the gospel. So we didn't go to church. But when I went to my paps, I went to church. And to go to that church, you had to wear a suit. And he, all he had, by the way, he had no children's suit. Shocker. So he gave me his smallest, smallest suit. And it was like the heaviest suit in the world. But you had to wear that because apparently Jesus can only hear you or love you if you're in a tweed heavy suit with, with the things hanging down here. Like, and I'm sweating, man. I'm sweating like a pig at the butcher's. Okay? So there I am, and I'm with my path, and, and we got the pews, and we got the books, and it's the hymnal, turn the page, whatever. And oh, by the way, they weren't even excited about it because they're like, just let's just do the first line and maybe the last. Let's skip the other stuff. Okay. I'm sweating, I'm dripping, right? And it's like, I guess you're to sing, right? So sing the first line, then you don't go to the next line, you go down here. So I'm doing the thing, and my grandpa just kind of nudges me, and he says, hey, you're singing really loud, and you don't sound good. I'm like, cool. He's like, shh. I was like, okay. So I just learned that not to sing at a church. And so then, okay, I was like, this is a drag. I don't go stay at Paps anymore, because that's what that means. Go somewhere else. Well, I wandered for years. Jesus saves me at 23. We'll skip all that in-between stuff. When I first go to church, there's, this is a little strange church, but I finally find a church, man, where these folks sing. They sing out. And they don't have great voices either. So just turn up the volume a little bit. It's cool, right? But I got to tell you something. I, was, I so desperately want to encourage you to sing because something happens when you sing. This is not for entertainment. This is not so, you know, hey, listen to the beatbox guy. Boom, 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 boom. Although we're thankful for the beatbox guy, right? We're thankful for the lady who sings and plays the piano. And we're thankful for our guitar guy. And we'll have others. But can I just tell you something? All we're doing is asking the Lord to set the stage so that the instruments will play. Can I tell you who the instruments are? You. You. Singing is so good for your soul because it's proclamation. And, and when you sing, and by the way, you're commanded to sing. You're commanded. Sing to the Lord if you have a great voice. Mm-mm. Right? And it's, so it's amazing to me. And so young men especially, I want to encourage you guys, you men, to sing, to sing, to sing. Here's why. Because you have children who watch you. 
And if we get more excited about the NFL, and I'm all excited about the NFL. I'm passionate about a lot of things. I watched the UFC yesterday. It was awesome. I was like, yeah, right? We're eating burgers. It was good. But I want to be more passionate for Christ. But if we can go to a fight and we can chant and we can cheer and we can do this, man, think. Think. Engage your mind on who you're singing to. This is the God of the universe. This is the God who sent his son to shed his blood to save sinners who wanted nothing to do with him. This is the one I hope that your heart longs to be with for all of eternity. Because if you want heaven for any other reason, I'm talking penultimate reason, than to receive and to enjoy Christ, you don't know him. Or you're definitely an heir. So sing now. Sing now because your soul needs it. But can I just tell you, your friends, your brothers, your sisters in this gathering need you. They need you to sing to one another. Unless you guys are doing lullabies together, this is the context. This is the context. So can I just gently, lovingly encourage you to sing? Because when we planted this church, I got to tell you, we just gathered in our living room. There was nine of us and we were louder many Sundays than what we're doing here. Now, that's not to beat you up I'm like, oh, I'm such a loser. No, it's I want this for you because I know what God does in the moment when we sing. Oh, he just engages you in a way that he doesn't engage you outside of that. So I don't feel like singing. Most, well, okay, you might feel that, by the way. But can I just tell you, your feelings will catch up. Well, I'm afraid someone might hear me. God will hear you. Right? Just, can I just encourage you? It's not guilt. It's glory. It's good. It's joy. Sing. Sing. It was very unnatural for me. It was very weird. And, and I'll tell you what, once I got over me, it was, it was so good to sing to the one who made me, to the one who knows me, to the one who loves me, and everyone around me eventually disappeared. And my grandpa was no longer in my head. By the way, my pap was awesome. I don't want you to think I didn't love him. He was like my hero. But sing. Set the example to the children, to those who are young, to those who are new, that this church is a church that sings. We express ourselves in that way. Okay? So that's not in my notes. So we're going to probably have to skip some notes. Um, But I really, I I wanted you to hear that. I wanted you to hear that. God has designed us to need each other if we're going to make it. If we're going to make it to the end. We're all limping home, by the way. Every one of us are limping home. And we've got to help one another limp home. That's what it looks like, right? A couple of you might be like, oh, I'm sprinting. Okay, but there's going to come a day you're going to limp and you're going to need a friend to pick you up, right? So we need each other. So question, what would it look like? What would our world look like if everyone made it their aim to stir, their life's ambition to stir, to stimulate one another to love and good works? What would that look like in the world? Well, I don't know, because this ain't a Beatles song or a U2 song, right? It's not going to happen, right? Like, but what about here? Okay, what do we just take this? Not the world, right? Like, that's utopia. We love that. There will be a day. That's the day Jesus returns. Till then, we're all just limping home. But what about here? What if we took it very serious to stir one another up, to stimulate one another towards love of Christ, love of the church, love of the city, and to good works? What would that look like? Well, I, I can tell you this. One, I think we would love way more graciously than we do now. And I got to tell you, I think y'all are a loving people. 
I mean, seriously, my wife was talking about this with me, I think it was Monday, and how thankful she was for how this church is loving one another. And, and, and we've been a part of churches where it's maybe not been that way, right? And that's okay. We can have that. It's a sick church, and we've got to help it. We've got to cut out some things. We've got to bring gospel truth in, but we need that to change. But I think we would grow in, I think we've got room. We can grow in loving one another. We can grow in graciously loving one another. I think we would serve way more purposefully in our neighborhood. In our, you know what? Before we go to neighborhood, in our home. In our home, right? Who's your closest neighbor? Well, if you're married, it's your spouse and then your children. And then you grow outside of that, right? And you keep going to your next door neighbor, to your family, and all these different things. All of us can do this, church. The stuff we're talking about is not rocket science. Every one of us can do this. No matter how old or how young in faith you are, you matter for the body of Christ. I say it all the time. It's kind of a little silly thing. There's no appendix in this body. Like, seriously, you can suck the appendix out of a human body. No one misses it. I mean, why is it there? I don't know. But there's no appendix here. Every part is vital for the health of this church to grow up and to love and to good works. So being in each other's lives with encouragement is going to be especially needed in the last days. That's what we just read, right? By the way, to see that even more explicitly, we're going to look at a little letter called Jude, right? Hey, Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation. And so actually you should go there. Uh, If you don't have your Bible open, um, hopefully you'll get there to that point one day. If not, you can listen. But we're going to cover a section of Scripture, but pretty quick. By the way, this little letter of Jude is mostly, it's a sober warning against false teachers. That's primarily what it's about. Jude wants us to to feel the seriousness of their perversion and, and even departure from the gospel. By the way, when we say gospel, what we mean is the good news of what Christ has done, right? And so it's it's not good advice. It's not good advice. It's good news. It's news of the finished work of Christ. It is what God has done to save sinners through his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his substitutionary death, and for all who trust him, believe in him. Why? Because the grave didn't hold him. He resurrected from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and he reigns and he mediates a relationship between God the Father and sinful humanity. Okay? So when we say gospel, it's about what he's done. Okay, people are diverting from that. They're, they're, they're perverting that, right? Okay, so Jude is very concerned. And here's what he says. We're going to look at verse 17 through 25. And I think you'll see how it ties into Titus really well. And then we'll land the plane on the last point. By the, by the way, there's a couple of new folks here. When I say land the plane, it doesn't mean we're almost done. But I do have a clock and I generally stick within it. So hang in there. Okay, you ready? But you must remember... Beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. So that's kind of going along with what Titus has said, right? But now he's talking to the church. You, beloved, listen, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this word. Keep yourselves. Keep yourselves, and I would even say, and each other, and stir one another up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't miss this. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. By the way, everyone doubts. 
everyone here doubts. Every human doubts. You're like, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life. I can't believe I'm doubting. Believe it. Believe it. People doubt. Everyone doubts. Everyone. No, there's this one guy. He doesn't doubt. He doubts. Unless he's Jesus. Jesus doesn't doubt. But every other human doubts. Oh, many times I've been like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Anyone else ever pray that? I think it's a, it's a beautiful God-honoring prayer. Because what you're saying is, I need more of you. I need more faith. I need more trust. Oh, and then r- run through the Bible and look for promises to anchor your soul to. Right? We need, but we doubt. So he's saying, have mercy on those who doubt. Be merciful to those who are struggling over, by the way, the completing tr- There's competing truth claims everywhere you look right now. Everywhere. They come in, and by the way, I'm not anti-social media. Got a really nice phone, right? It's cool. Get it. But it's coming in through your phone, through your television, through every avenue right now, and they're all competing truth claims. So everyone's doubting. Everyone's wondering, especially someone that they might have really looked up to and followed. Now they're, they're off taking a side ramp. They don't trust in Jesus. They've deconstructed their faith. He's saying, have mercy on those who are struggling. Don't crush them. Don't condemn them. Help them. Help them. They need you to come alongside them, right? But then he goes on. He says, save others, those who are outside the faith, by snatching them out of the fire. I love the picture. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. He's meaning be a pure people. This fight of faith is hard. He says, fight the good fight of faith. You know why he says fight the good fight of faith? It's because it's a fight. You're in a battle. It's hard. It's hard. Don't be surprised when it's hard. Just let that reassure you. If you're just like a jellyfish in the stream of the current of the culture, of course it's not hard. But man, if you want to be like a salmon swimming to your death, you're going to have a hard time. It's going to be very hard. Well, how do you do that? But this is why we need each other. This is why we need each other. If we are going to be faithful and fruitful till the end, we need the gospel. We need each other. If we're going to meet the most urgent of needs. Do you feel pressure? Do you feel pressure? Keep yourselves in the love of God. All, by the way, all who engage in that kind of gospel ministry never need to worry about actually being unfruitful. Because this is the work of ministry. Everybody's like, well, I want a ministry. You have a ministry. You have a ministry. This is your ministry. It's a gospel ministry. Well, I want something to be in charge of. Be in charge of stirring one another up to love and to good works. Be in charge of sitting yourself under the teaching of the Word of God so that your heart can be stirred. you got to engage God. In that way, not just on Sunday. Why? Because your life and the life of those around you, your souls depend on it. You do that. It seems like a lot of pressure. But then he continues. Now to him. (laughs) Listen to this, man. Listen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. 
This great joy of Christ to present you to the Father. He's going to keep you. He loses none. None. He's able to do this, and He does it with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You're like, pressure off. But, but I, I want to bring you into tension again. <sighs> I'd like the pressure off piece. I want to actually urge you to resist the shallow and cynical mindset that says, if God is the keeper of my soul for eternal life in verse 24, see that? Then I don't need to keep myself in the love of God verse 20 because you know what that is that's tension that's tension too many people emphasize one or the other right you do 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 you got to do it if you're going to make it to the end you must do it if your friends are going to make it to the end you must be the one you are basically all sovereign do it. And everyone runs around exhausted and prideful, generally speaking, or despairing and dying. But, but I can tell you right now, my camp, my friends, generally, they emphasize that he'll do it, so you don't need to do anything. But here's the problem. The Bible. That's the problem. Because when I read the Bible, it says there's a tension you're to do something. But it's not you who does it. God does it. What's well, weird? Scott Rising, get up there and preach this Sunday. You better bring the word. And I mean, I have command after command. Preach, herald, declare, say the word, preach the gospel. But it's not you who does it. It's God who does it. What? But, but if I don't get up here, it doesn't happen. I know. It's how he, choose, he chose to do it this way. It's tension. Do you feel the tension? I want you to feel the tension. Because if you'll get this, you will lead a life not despairing, but truly trusting and resting in the fact that God's going to do this. He will do this. He does this with joy. And here's the thing. It's like take a kid to work day. He loves to do it through us. And it will, what if I don't do it? Then it won't happen. It'll still happen. But it might not happen the way... It, like, well, let me be careful there. It may not happen in your life that way but trust me god has a plan and it will happen it will happen you must keep yourself in the love of god right so the illustration i've given many times i'm going to give it one more time though because it's so it just it paints the picture for me so good i remember being at kennywood with my daughter sarah and this girl got lost in like all the traffic of all the people and she freaked out in a moment and her anxiety spiked but i saw her the whole time she was never out of my gaze and so i she's like frantically looking for me i kind of reach my hand out she grabs me she white knuckles me as hard as she possibly can and i gently go like this to her fragile little hand now who has who exactly but I can tell you this, it's not her little grip that's going to keep her next to me. It's I got her. But she's thinking, I got him. And that is the tension. That's the tension. That's what it means to walk, to live by faith. 
I'm trusting he never loses any sheep. He's got me. But faith is to trust and to hold. And they go together. And if you can't figure that out, then you, you, you're going to be on one of the camps. You're going to be one of the camps. But I, I want us to live in the tension. I want us to live in the tension. The church needs you. Church needs you. It's how God has designed it. We're to be together. We're holding one another together. We're stirring one another up into love and good works. Okay. There's a lot more that could be said. Five minutes. We can do this. I'm going to make sure. I am going to hammer this home a little more because this last point I can just right, right quick. If you don't get that, then it's like saying this. Since God is the giver of physical life, then I don't need to eat, drink, sleep, or do anything. I don't even need to breathe. Is that true? I mean, I guess for a little while. I guess for a little while. You could do that, and then you'll die. You could do that, right? Of course that's not true. Eating, drinking, sleeping, breathing is the actual means of which God gives for the human to stay alive. To stay alive. You better eat something for a while. If you can skip a few meals, you better drink. But if you skip too many days without drinking, you die. If you hold your breath long enough, well, eventually you'll pass out, which is the kindness of God, because some of us might have done that as a kid and died. But then eventually you'll start breathing, right? Because you kind of need H2O. What's the means of which H2O? That's water. <laughs> I think I need some food. You got my point. In the same, I knew because my wife's cracking up. She's like, you're such a buffoon in a kind way. She said it in a kind way. In the same way, we read the Bible. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We stir one another up to love and good works. We fight the good fight of faith on and on because that is his means of grace for the believer to stay. It's why we do it. Who's got who? He's got us. But his way of getting us, having us, holding us is the things he's commanded of us. Can you see that? That's the tension we have to live in. The means of grace is our is in our keeping ourselves in the love of God, but God's keeping is what actually inspires us. It is what stirs us up. We we major on Him. His keeping is guaranteed, and and our keeping is dependent on His promise. If I lost some of you, that's okay. I know some of you got me. Last point, together for the gospel. It's the last point. Look at Titus 3. 12 through 13 and verse 15. He says, when I send Artemis Tychicus to you, do your best to come at, come to me at Nicopolis, right? For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. All who are with me send greetings to you. Listen to the warmth here. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I love how he just ties this up. Paul was a team player. He understood the the importance and the function of every member within that church body, right? Like, Like, we don't know anything about Artemis. Literally, there's nothing else in the Bible about this guy. He's like a gospel nobody, but he was important to Paul. He's like, I'm sending these guys, Titus, so that you can get a TV timeout and you can come to me. We can spend the winter together. What are they going to do there? We don't even know. 
We don't know. Maybe it's just we're going to plan. We're going to pray. We're going to have a little reprieve. We're going to see how to get the gospel to Rome. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. I don't know. But notice just the plain names of the people here. I think we can always make the mistake of it. Of course, it's about Paul and it's about Titus. He's writing to a people that none of us know their names, but God knows very well. And that's you. That's you. The, the, the role of the pastor is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. Primarily, that's why I exist for For the City Church. It's not to go do it, although I'm glad to do it. But I'm one man, right? So we want to encourage you. We want to stir you up to one another. Why? Because it's way more effective to see this church body in the city doing the things than this guy up here. Paul knew that. He understood that Jesus is the hero. He, he understands that one plants, one waters, but it's only God who gives the growth. It takes every one of us. We're together for the gospel. We're a family. We're limping home. We keep reaching for the hand that's got us. This is what it means to be a church. And if we're going to be healthy, we've got to align ourselves with that truth. And we need each other to do that. It can't just be the role of the pastor. You've got to help bring others closer to center. You've got to make sure you're closer to center. And we've got to keep the North Star as Christ and Him crucified. And if we will do that, when we are done, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And that's what I long to hear. I long to see my Savior face to face. And I know you do too. He's got you. Keep reaching for the hand that has you. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for, for Paul. Thank you for Titus. Thank you for this little but yet very jam-packed letter, this truth, uh, truth that leads to godliness. Lord, we have set our sail up, but we need wind. And so what, what we need right now is we need power. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just fill us, our hearts and our minds, with the truth of how much you love us, that we would rest in that. But that rest would actually lead us to engaging you and loving one another. You tell us in your word that you will know my disciples by how they love one another. God, help us to love one another from the understanding of the profound love that you have for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for laying your life down gladly in submission to save sinners who are far from you. Thank you for absorbing the wrath of God in our place so that we might have life and life abundantly. Oh God, I pray that we as a people, we would decrease, that you would increase in our lives and that you'd be more famous in the city of Greensburg because of the efforts of a few. And Lord, I just ask that you'd give us more laborers who would come alongside of us, that, that would join us for the sake of magnifying the great name of Jesus so that you may receive all the glory, that your people would receive all the joy that comes from you and that joy would spill out into the streets of this city for your name's sake for the beautiful name of jesus we ask this amen